So what is the Spirit saying to the church as we begin this year together? It feels to me that um, the atmosphere of our worship this morning and uh, through the Word of God that He has laid on my heart, that the Spirit of God is saying to the church of God, take heart. I have made a way and I will make a way for you. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are caught up already in the amazing reality of your presence and power among us. And your grace and your kindness, your saving work among us, O oh God. The testimonies within this room are many and amazing of what you have done in our lives, of how you have rescued us, how you have saved us, how you have made a way for us, and how you continue to make a way, and how you make us overcomers. And so our Father, this morning as we pass from a year to a new year, we are asking you what you have for us. We are we are your subjects, your servants. We have come together this morning at the invitation of the King of Kings. We have offered up a command performance of our praise. And we trust, O oh Lord, that it has been a sweet savor in your nostrils. And now, Lord, we're reporting for duty. We are your servants who are saying, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Your servant hears. And I pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be prepared by you, by the Spirit of God, to respond, to welcome, to receive, to enact, to live out, to submit to your will and your ways for us. Lord, we come with broken hearts. We come with frustrated lives we come sinfully to you and yet Lord you receive us you forgive us you welcome us you clean us up you use us for your glory and we are amazed and Lord we want to take heart this morning we want to take heart we want you to build up our hearts and strengthen us with resolve and with with praise and with power and a sense of empowerment, oh God, in a world that is completely gone crazy. And oh Lord, I pray that God's people would seize the opportunity of this coming year for your glory and, uh, and, and be led by our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the battle for victory, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we, um, as we take a, a long look at the horizon of 2016, we are prob probably staring back at us are more questions, more perplexity than, than immediate solutions and answers that we have in our heart. We, some of them, of course, are more important questions than others. Some touch, ho touch home closer than others. 
But there are questions out there. Is, is Donald Trump going to become the president of the United States this coming year? Or are we going to be faced with the strange cult of the Clintons for another term? Blah. Are terrorists free to operate behind the back of God? Does human history and our ultimate survival depend upon a solution to global warming? Will human gender become extinct? Maybe you're wondering more about things like, will I have a job this year? Or will I get a job this year? Or what's going to happen with my job this year? Or maybe some family situation. What's going to happen with my child, wayward child? What's going to happen in my health, with my health? With the health of someone who I love very closely? What's going to happen with relationships? with my spouse. Any number of things are, are sort of questions out in the landscape of 2016. Are we at the mercy of fate? Or evil forces that are more powerful? In the throes of deep despair, After losing his wife in a fire and his son being gravely wounded in the Civil War, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow, on Christmas Day, 1863, wrote this. There is no peace on earth. Hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so we say goodbye to another Christmas. We find ourselves at the front end of a new year. And I believe with all of my heart that our God is telling us to take heart. All of us, take heart. The good news is that we live in a God-planned universe. Uh, I want to take you this morning on a sweeping tour of history, biblical history. We're going to move quickly in the first part. I, I want to strengthen your heart and your soul with resolve to believe that God is in charge. Regardless of what you see around you and regardless of how frustrating and even fearful it, it feels, I, I want to I assure you from God's word today that God is absolutely in charge. And, and he holds our future in his hand. He holds our coming days in his hands. And I want to show you some things from God's word in a sweeping look of human history, God's history, uh, to demonstrate this to you. Uh, the human stubbornness to sin has put our planet at risk. 
It puts our lives at risk. I think we all, all understand that. We all see that. And as the Assyrian nation was, was aligned against the people of God 2,800 years ago, threatening to, to cause the people of God to become extinct, God gave the prophet Isaiah an amazing insight, a promise, a planned promise, a plan that's promised. It wasn't new to Isaiah. It wasn't new to the people of God. In fact, the promise began immediately after man had first sinned. God promised a Savior. And I want to direct your attention this morning as we launch into 2016 to a promise that has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is this encompassing sovereign plan for our world. It's familiar to you. It ties Christmas to New Year's. It ties Christmas to eternity, really. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And regardless of how it looks and what you think, listen. And the government will be on his shoulders. Okay? The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And how can we be certain this is so? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There is no greater strength to a greater promise than the Lord Almighty's zeal. It wasn't for 800 years of waiting and being challenged by people just like me to people just like you to take heart. God will come through in His promises. He will. The zeal of Almighty God will cause it to be so. And for 800 years, there were people like me telling people like you, take heart in the midst of really hard times. Take heart. And then one day, the promise appears. What we call the incredible incarnation. The king makes a royal visit. That's what Christmas is. The king made a royal visit to inaugurate his rule and to give the Holy Spirit to his people. 
A complete change of relationship with the living God was now available to us. No longer would we have to be loyal to God by our external strength, but rather by the empowerment of the very present God within us to enable us to trust Him, to follow Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to love Him with all of our hearts. God's signature declaration that his promises are the plan. God's promises, beloved, are the plan. When you're wondering what's going on in this crazy world, God's promises are the plan that is taking place in our world. A landmark event in human history of almost inexpressible proportions, God landed on our planet And God spoke loudly on that day on the basis of those promises over all those, all that millennia. Game on! Game on! That's what God has said to us in the incarnation, in the coming of Christ. The world's intentional ignorance is without excuse. God has visited our planet. But as is the bent of human nature in the present neighborhood in which we live with the people we live, humans have crafted an alternative plan to God's plan. Pursued by people. Pursued by people who have an incorrect vision of truth. Pursued by a humanity that is characterized throughout the ages as believing that truth is transient. If you want to understand the the root cause of the symptomatic problems we have, it is entirely related to the fact that human beings have this bent to believe that truth is modified and can be modified by culture, by time, because it's a movable target. And as a result of that, mankind replaces the creator with the creation and deifies the creation, worships the creation. Rather than allowing the despair of wickedness and evil and pain to drive people to God, people desperately manufacture their own God. And it is the creation. This is stated regularly in the scriptures. As clearly as possible in Romans chapter 1. When people believe that truth is transient, they always award creation the status of divine. Now, that's why the people around us worship Mother Earth. Whether it's the ancient Egyptians or the postmodern Canadians, the results are always the same. Massive failure. I want to take you on um, a a trip into um, a central text for this morning in Isaiah chapter 19. I want you to turn there because it's a remarkable text that takes us from the ancient past to a remarkable future that is promised that will 
blow your socks off this morning if you haven't read Isaiah 19 in a while. And um, the prophet Isaiah, given this insight by God, prophesies against Egypt, but it's as if he's prophesying against all rebellious people. So whether we put the word Egypt in here or we put the word Canadian in here, it's as apropos. The very things that are going on in this text are the same in our culture. And when man believes that truth is transient, there are three massive human failings that are sure to follow that are outlined in this text. We're going to take a look at each of them in order. And then we're going to marvel at what God is going to do. And we're going to commit ourselves to be part of what God is about. So if, you, if the text is open, you'll notice it says an oracle concerning Egypt, verse 1. And uh, God establishes his authority and his sovereignty right at the very beginning. See, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the great I Am, rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian, brother will fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will bring their plans to nothing. So whoever has something arrayed against you, arrayed against God's people, whoever's plotting and planning against the things of God, know this, that this declaration of God stands firm today. I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The, the first of these massive human failings is this, trusting in things constructed by human hands, idols. To what do you turn when... Life turns against you when you become fearful, when you become anxious. What do you turn to? Don't we, in so many ways and, and with, in such a, a, a reactionary way, turn to things around us that we can see. We see our possessions. We see our position. We see our investments. We see our power. Whatever. We turn to things that have been made. And God is making a declaration here that things we have made cannot help us with the things that are beyond our control. And then he continues into the second of the massive human failings. The waters of the river will dry up and the riverbed will be parched and dry. Why, why does he jump on, on, on the issue of, uh, of the rivers now? Because in, he's going to talk about the Nile. The, to the Egyptians, the Nile was the be-all and end-all of life. The Nile provided life to Egypt. 
It was the irrigation for their fields, for, for all of their produce, for all of their clothing, everything, all of their industry, their fishing industry, their food industry, their clothing industry. It was what gave Egypt life. And God is declaring to them, so what happens if I decide to dry up the Nile? Waters of the river will dry up and the riverbed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink. The streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and the rushes will wither. Also the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every sown field along the Nile will become parched, will blow away and be no more. The fishermen will groan and lament. All who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with combed flax will despair. The weavers of fine linen will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. Your whole economy will collapse because you put your trust in natural resources. What happens if in an instant God decides to take away those natural resources? We see all around us a culture, not just a culture, but a world in a frenzy over the natural resources of the planet. As far as the world is concerned, Jesus can go to hell, but we better save our planet. If the planet gets the sniffles, there's a massive global summit. Over 300 representatives from Canada on your tax dollar, go to Paris because the earth has caught a cold or actually has a fever, I guess it is. Fifty-four percent of every man and woman in this world considers global warming as the serious threat to life. Now, I'm not up here chirping about global warming and all of that. I'm simply saying, think about this. Of the, what is it, seven billion people? We're not talking about the industrialized world being concerned. We're talking about everybody. 54% of everybody considers it the serious threat. What do you think the percentage in the world is that considers the fact that we are seriously rebelling against God as a serious threat to our existence? You think God hasn't noticed? You think he doesn't take notice? His word says he does. Global warming, the global warming frenzy has taught us what is really worshipped in our world. And why is it worshipped? Because to our world, the planet is all there is. When your heart isn't attached to the God of heaven, you have nothing else but the things you're walking on. But we all know 
And God's making the point here that nature turns on us regularly. Can you depend on nature? Ask the Americans this year how that, how that has gone. Tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, unprecedented weather rage against the country south, to, south of us. Confidence in natural resources? You've got to be kidding. I don't take heart in that. I don't know about you. As we read on, the officials of Zoan, verse 11, are nothing but fools. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. Has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does as a drunkard staggers around, and staggers around in his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do. Head or tail, palm branch or reed. There is nothing Canada can do. When the New York Times spouts on its lead, God isn't fixing this. And it's up to us to fix it. We all know that God is insulted in heaven. And the third of these massive human failings is the security in human culture and wisdom and spiritualism, spiritism. As the culture of radical Islam or resurgent Russian fascism bears down on us, how much faith should we place on human anything? By 2050, by 2050 Muslims will be the dominant religion of the planet. Unless God's people do something different than we've been doing. But here's the good news. This is, this is God's warning to all of us about the massive failings of humanity. But here's the good news. Truth isn't transient. Truth is transcendent. And, and throughout all of this, God is already hinting at the fact that His plans are the plans that come to pass. He is the one who takes care of us. If all the wise men fail, if all the things that we've ever made fail, if all natural resources fail, God can still look after us because His plan will not fail. God is over all. And he now turns his attention to a most amazing statement about what's really going to happen because God is in charge. God is not helplessly commit, connected to this mess. We need to know that. God is not tied into this mess. He's not wringing his hands and saying, oh, humans are bringing me down. Humans are, are, are causing me to lose power and lose control. God is not connected to this mess. He is transcendent. 
lives above this in lofty places. And his plans will prevail. And so he states here what's going to happen. And it's quite remarkable. It starts in verse 16 when he says, In that day, the Egyptians will be like women. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. In that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, He will send them a Savior and Defender, and He will rescue them. So the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord, and He will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. In that day Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, Blessed be Egypt my people, Assyria my handiwork, and Israel my inheritance. Do we understand the nature and remarkable splendor of what God is stating here? Salvation! is planned for the world. That's what God is promising here. Not secularization, not Islamification, not, commun not, not communism. There will be peace in the Middle East. That's the plan of God. Every human accord has failed because it hasn't been God's accord by the Prince of Peace. Five cities in Egypt will speak Hebrew. They will speak the language of God. They will communicate with the Lord God. Many places of Yahweh worship will characterize Egypt. They will listen to the word of God. They will be passionate about the word of God. And Israel, instead of being a target of extinction, will be the land bridge connecting three nations who worship the Lord Almighty. Now, Assyria is, is at, at the gates ready to destroy them. And this is the promise that is coming to them. That someday, Syria and Egypt and Israel, and you keep naming names after names, will be worshiping the living God. That's the promise of our God. That's the grand plan of our God. If you repent, if you turn to him, no matter who you are, no matter what nationality you are, no matter where you come from, if you turn and repent, he will rescue you from your brokenness and take you for his very own. That's the great plan and the purposes of God. That's what he promises to us. This is our future. Are you ready for something else to blow off your socks this morning? In Revelation chapter 5, we get this peek into history. An amazing thing where God takes us on a tour of our future, of the future of the universe. 
to any of us who are feeling despair or discouraged or wondering how it's going to turn out or wondering if we can face the situation around us or wondering as we see oppressive nation upon oppressive nation, war upon war, wondering what's going to happen to us, wondering uh, what ultimately all of this will lead to, we get this grand um, invitation in Revelation chapter 5 to gather and view and gaze with our own eyes where this is all going. We've sung about it already this morning. Then I saw a lamb, verse 6, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You think your prayers don't matter? And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, uh, to, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The future picture that is planned is that every false hope, the learning of man or nature or spirituality, spiritualism can finally be replaced by a contented joy and in, through God, and in through God alone because Jesus the Prince of Peace will stand center stage in heaven as the central object of all worship of the whole universe. So the debates aside, this religion, that religion, all I know is this. At the end, there's one man standing, the living God, Jesus Christ, the center of all worship of all the universe. That's how it is. Praise the Lord. Give Christ all the glory. Blaise Pascal said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in each of us, and when we attempt to fill the vacuum with anything less than God, the result must always be disappointing. I would have said the result must always be disastrous. Here's the shocking present plan for us this morning. And this is the takeaway for us. This is our challenge for 2016. You've, got, you've just had a grand sweeping look that God is in control. That God has got this all planned. You've seen how it was promised and you've seen how it's going to end. Now the question is, what's our job in the middle of all of this for 2016? 
The shocking present plan is this, that God has entrusted his people to be his instrument to be a blessing to the nation. Isn't that something? That God, the God of glory, who has orchestrated this immense and amazing plan, is entrusting the carrying out of this amazing plan to us to bless the nations. His plan unfolds through his resident zeal in us. How? By showing total trust and certainty and confidence in the face of uncertainty because God has your future in his hands. And we need to live like that every day of our lives. We need to carry ourselves like that. We need as a church in this community to carry ourselves with trust in God and certainty about all things around us. Why? Because we belong to the King of Kings. We belong to the one who will ultimately be worshipped by all the universe. We belong to the one who is taking care of every one of us each day. In the face of uncertainty, we are carried in the certain hands of Almighty God who is fulfilling his purposes and his plan. Now there are three takeaways that I want to give you that come out of, leap right out of this promise that came out of Isaiah 19 about how things are going to shape up. Three takeaways that will load us up with the best of the best for 2016. This is our worship. This will be our plan for great growth. Th- these are our essentials. Nothing new here because it's the, s- the same word of God. Holy Spirit-driven living is going to be critical for our lives. And it starts this way. All of our plotting and planning must arise from all of our praying. First and foremost, prayer is the air we breathe. There are one of three, there, there are roughly three New Testament sacrifices that are given to us that carry over into the New Testament community. We are to bring a sacrifice of praise We are to bring a sacrifice of our offerings, and we are to bring a sacrifice of prayer. That's who we are as a New Testament community. That's what shapes us. That that is our New Testament sacrifice. When we come here on a given Sunday morning, we bring our best expression of those three sacrifices together in this grand congregation So that when you come, you come and you bring your very best praise sacrifice. You bring your very best prayer sacrifice. You bring your very best offering all the time when we gather as God's people. That's who we are. We are living sacrifices in prayer, praise, and offering. That characterizes a New Testament church that is moving forward with God if we pray with all of our hearts and if we praise with all of our hearts and if we give with all of our hearts. God will do amazing things in our midst. He will cause his purposes and his plans to unfold among us. James McDonald said this, praying is what confirms our true belief that we cannot succeed without God and its absence confirms the exact opposite. Prayer causes us to be reminded that we are dependents of the living God. We depend upon him for every breath we breathe. We depend upon him all the time. Prayer concedes that. Prayer chases away pride from our lives. People who don't pray are people who are filled with pride because they they, they are in effect saying, I don't need God. Prayer invokes the power of God 
upon the situation that we are in and living in. You can either try and do it on your own strength or you can trust in the strength of the Lord. Prayer invokes the power of God. Calvary is not a human strength operation. Calvary is about the power of God. If we don't have the power of God, we won't accomplish anything worthwhile in this community or in this region or in this world. And our prayers concede that we need the power of God to be working among us. P prayer is not powerful. The God who we're praying to is powerful. That's why we pray. That's why we call out to him. And, and quite frankly, prayer is also, um, uh, the, the reality is that we are either checking in with God or we are checking out of God. Prayer is checking in with God. And if you aren't praying, you're checking out. There are, no, there are only two ways to go in life. You're either moving closer to God or you're moving away from him. And prayer is checking in. Not to pray is checking out. And how long has it been since you've prayed? Regard, however long it's been since you've prayed, you've been actually checking out of God and you've been checking out more of God, uh, further from God and checking out further from God. Prayer is checking in with God. And so we have to be in this coming year a people who are praying. God is in charge. You bypass him at your own loss and peril. The second is this. The second takeaway is this for this year. Dare to really, and I'm, I'm putting the stress on really. Dare to really obey God's word. Even if in the moment it doesn't make sense or seems to disadvantage your plan. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and what? He will direct your paths. We lean on the word of God because it gives us direction. We take God's word seriously because we are directionless without the word of God. In 2016, you don't want to be a directionless person. I don't want to be a directionless person. I want to know that I'm, in, I'm, I'm heading in a direction uh, uh, based on the plans and the purposes and the promises of God. We are to obey God's word, really obey God's word. Take it seriously. God's game plan is his word. Get in on the same page as God if you want to enjoy the promises his plans make. Not only does it give us direction, but it gives us protection. God's word is your protection. God's word, can, listen, God's word is your protection. Can I say it again? Not your bank account, not your job, not your health, not anything. God's word is your protection. When God's word comes into your mind, it will protect you. It will guard your heart. God's word is your protection. Psalm 119.19, how can a young man keep his way pure? What's the answer? The, it, it's answered right there. By guarding it according to your word. God's game plan is his word. There's a third takeaway this morning. And it is this. Since God's plan is salvation. For his glory. Since the saving purpose of God is the plan, let's light lots of new fires to his glory and greatness this year. You were licking my stamps as you were praying, Pastor Nick, because I know you were praying this stuff. Let's not be wishy-washy about the gospel truth. 
Let's not be wishy. This is no time for us to be wishy-washy. Salvation is a very exclusive reality. In this politically homicidal culture that we live in, don't become soggy in the mushy pluralism plot of the enemy, giving us the impression that religions, all religions are close and they're okay and Muslims and Christians worship the same God. We do not worship the same God. God is the God for all nations. He stated that. God is not willing that any should perish. But they must come through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, said Christ. In this hyper-tolerance world, tolerant to everything but Christianity, some things are just exclusive. Some things are just true. And they don't have any wiggle room. Things like electricity. Ask electricity be, to be tolerant. Go ahead, go home, stick a fork in the, in the wall, in the wall socket, and ask, ask electricity to, to give you a break, to give you a, a free pass, to, to, to change its properties and, and be more tolerant of you. Go ahead, try. Electricity doesn't change its properties for you, for me, for anybody. Neither does God change the properties of his salvation for anybody. He has made it abundantly clear and abundantly available. Let's be champions of social justice and care for those in ignorance. We are God's blessing to the world. Let's understand this, that most lost people are like men in our understanding of women. We don't Ladies, we really don't get it, okay? We're not making this up. We don't get it. And lost people don't get it either. They don't get it. So our champion of social justice and care will bring Jesus to them. Let's model sensible eco-care. We don't care about the planet because it's all we have. We steward it for God's future purposes. There's an entirely different strategy with God's people. We are not at the mercy of this creation. We are stewards of it. God has given us vice regency and responsibilities. But lions are not going to go extinct. So spend your time doing other things. You're saying, how do you know? I I'm telling you, I guarantee they're not going to go extinct. Why? Because I have a picture of the millennium. And it promises me in the millennium that the lion will lie with the lamb. There has to be a lion there to lie with that lamb. And it tells me that little kids are going to play with... I heard it. Come on, don't be afraid. You know your Bibles. Cobras... So don't join the Save the Cobra Society. <laughs> They'll be there. God's already proven to us that he can take care of his creation without our help, thank you very much. He just builds a big boat and puts a few of them in it. He can take care of it. I'm not talking about being reckless or careless with our creation. You, you not, are not hearing me say that. But let's prioritize the right things. And let's overcome the world. 
and not live beneath its oppressive, wicked weight. Listen, this, this is the burden of my heart for God's people. Christ, who is not the world, has overcome it. That's the glory of what we believe. That's the victory of what we sang about this morning. He has overcome the world, which means we are able to overcome the world. He brings us with him. Listen, God's people live with so much defeat that we don't need to live with. What, however you've been abused in the past or the physical abuse that you've been involved in or whatever, your genetic predispositions of the past or whatever, those all belong to the fallenness of this world that Christ has overcome. And in Christ, he brings you to become an overcomer. You've overcome the world. The victory belongs to you. We are, we are more than overcomers through Christ. Stop living under the weight of your past abuse or your past sin or your genetic predispositions. They are part of the world that Jesus has overcome and he's brought you with him. This is the encouragement for us. This is the, the, the world we live in with our Savior and, his, and the Lord Almighty who is our strength. So can I say this to you for 2016? Let's make this a God first year. 2016 to be a God first year. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, prayer, obedience of God's word, uh, lighting lots of gospel fires all over. That's our worship. This will be our growth. A God first year. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's make 2016 the greatest example of God dependency, of, the, of God greatness, of God work personally and in our community ever. You with me? All right. God, thank you for all that you've done. Praise your great name. We lift up an offering to you of, of praise. We thank you, Lord, that you are in charge, that the plan of God will prevail, and that we are serving the living Christ who will stand one day at the center stage of all the universe and be worshipped by all the all creatures here and below to the glory of God. So our Father, we lift up our praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We began this morning in the sermon to talk about the fact that Jesus has made a way and will make a way. But what I believe is true and what we have talked about this morning is that far too many of us are living too close to the borderline between our faith and the culture. And if we're going to break away and really advance the cause of Christ and move forward in ways that we've never seen before, we have to distance ourselves from that borderline. We have to move away from the culture, not, not take ourselves out of the culture, but move our hearts away from the borderline of the culture into the very heart of our faith in Jesus Christ. When I travel on the 401, I'm most often heading west because I have family over in Guelph, Cambridge area, as you know. And I, in the journey on the 401 to that side of Ontario, I like to put on FM 99.5, Family Life Radio, and listen to sermons. 
because it's a long, long trip. You can listen to sermons. As you're driving along, when you get to the Campbellville cutoff, or for some of you who don't know where that is, the Mohawk racetrack, and hopefully you don't know where that is, <laughs> but it is a landmark. 99.5 Christian radio sermons starts to fade out and give way to 99.5 Kitchener-Waterloo oldies. And there's a borderline place where you're driving for 5 or 10 or 15 kilometers where you're hearing fragments of God's Word and sections of oldies hits and neither are making sense. And it's usually just when you come to the punchline of the sermon. And it hit me this last trip that I took that so many of us are living on that borderline. We're hearing fragments of miscellaneous truth that isn't really registering in our hearts because we're hearing too much of the culture at the same time. Beloved, we can't live on the borderline. It's a place of confusion. It's about prayer. It's about obeying God's word. It's about lighting fires of salvation. It's about moving our life by the power and presence of God away from the borderline so we can hear the uninterrupted message of our great God and be shaped in our hearts and move forward by his plans and purposes. So as we bow our heads and we give pause to this, can we be making resolution to God by his strength to move us from the borderline or wherever we are further toward the heart of God and you don't drift there it's intentional by prayer by radical obedience to God's word and by lighting fires of the gospel everywhere you go can we agree as a church family that that's where our heart collectively wants to go this 2016? To you, O oh God, to you, O oh God, we offer our hearts, our lives fresh this year for your glory. O oh God, create and cause your purposes to be fulfilled fully in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.